Welcome back to Parsha Panorama here at the database of Yeshua Eisenberg, and this week's Parsha is Parsha Svayigash, with a very exciting climactic beginning. What I find fascinating about Parsha Svayigash, actually, is that although some people might think of Vayigash as one of the most exciting Parshios, I might actually argue that it has one of the most exciting beginnings, but most of the Parsha is actually not that exciting. But um, when we eventually get to the bottom of it and explain all the seemingly boring parts, we'll actually really be clued into some very key aspects of the next few chapters of the lives of Klal Yisrael. But I'll explain exactly what I mean as we get to the specific components of the Parsha. But before we do, I want to just remind everybody where we left off. So we left off, obviously, with Parsha Smikates, where we addressed the question, we began addressing the question, we suggested an answer of why Mikates ends on the cliffhanger that it infamously ends on, that Yosef, who is the masked viceroy, he frames Binyamin, and he says, that's it, everybody go home, right? And then we know that Yehuda, he wanted to stand up for Binyamin, and ultimately he said, yeah, let, let, let us stay as slaves. And Yosef says, no, just go home. Conversation's over, right? But Except it's not, because in this week's Parsha, Yehuda fights back. And the answer that we started to suggest is that there is a default, there are rules, and there are exceptions. And it seems that the rule that we've had up until now is that Yaakov Avinu is two different camps and never the twain shall meet. Right? Consider um, something that I, I didn't actually mention in previous Parsha Panoramas yet, but I think it's about time that we get to it. We mentioned that in Parsha Svayishlach that Yaakov says, he declares that he became two camps. And we understood this, um, at least from Chazal, as a, a, an element of preparing for war. In the event that Esav comes to attack, Yaakov's family has to be safe, and Yaakov might not be able to save everybody, and so we'll have to split everybody into two camps. Right? But we, we understood that to mean something more, that there's a certain element of being fragmented, that Yaakov Avinu, from the time that he left, um, from the time he left um, Be'er Sheva, maybe even earlier than that, Yaakov Avinu was two different people, two different identities. He was the Yaakov, he was also the Esav. He had to become the place where Esav fell short, Yaakov had to become Esav. And we explained that that seeped into Yaakov's married life and his family life when Yaakov Avinu had to have two major camps of his family, namely the Bnei Rachel, the Bnei Leah. Now, you find this fragmentation not just in the beginning of Parshas Vayishlach, but you actually find it in the middle of Vayishlach, and you find it again in Vayeshev. And we find this all when it comes to Shechem. Shechem, what does Shechem have to do with anything? Well, when Yosef is being sent to his brothers, right, this was in two weeks ago's Parsha in Vayeshev, so... He, um, Yaakov Avinu sends him to Shechem. And Rashi tells us, oh, Shechem is not a great place. Rashi tells us that Shechem is infamous for lots of tragedies. He says this is where Adina was kidnapped, and this was also where um, Yosef was 
um, sent before, just before he got sold to Mitzrayim. And this is also where Malchus based David is going to split. Now, I want to just point out that if you think about what all of these events have in common, they actually all involve the fragmentation of the family of Klal Yisrael. Right, because when it comes to Dina, so we saw that story very clearly set apart the B'nai Leah in a certain sense and Yaakov Avinu and the rest of Yaakov's life. If you think about it, Yaakov Avinu, he's quiet when Dina gets kidnapped. And this is not to suggest that Yaakov wasn't bothered by that, but the, the, the um, retaliation of Shimon and Levi, especially when Yaakov rebukes them and they say, well, this is our sister, right? And, and in the same Parshas Vayishlach, the self-same Parshas Vayishlach, we find Ruvain's rebellion. So we find Yaakov Avinu getting very upset at the children of Leah, and of course the subject of, of, of Shechem and raping Dina was, was Dina, who was the boss Leah. So we find that there's a lot of, of fragmentation in that, in, that, in that sense. Now Yosef and the brothers, that's obvious. That's, that's the, the, the most obvious Ben Rachel versus Ben Leah. But also the split in Malchus based David is, um, is really the same concept. Right? Because when Malchus based David split, we saw a split between the northern kingdom and Judea, which is Yehuda, essentially, representing uh, the Bnei um, um, Leah. And on the other hand, all the other, the, all the other tribes, they eventually um, were, they, they eventually become Ephraim, who is, um, who is all? Who is Ben Rachel? So, those are just some things to think about. That we have these two camps, and these two camps are still here. And what we said at the end of Mikates was that since we have these two camps, and the twain don't seem to meet, that's at least the rule. The rule is these are different camps; and they don't want to have anything to do with each other. And once Yosef, as the masked viceroy, has been yumming down there with him, he says, "Okay, you go home, and let's keep things status quo. Separate the Bnei Rachel and the Bnei Leah." And Yehuda and the brothers theoretically could have gone home and that would have been it. And Yosef and Binyamin would have been reunited and it would have felt so good because for them they are B'nai Rachel, they're a happy family, and that would have been it. But of course, Yehuda breaks the silence in this week's Parsha. But that didn't, you know, it's not a given. Vayigash, love Yehuda, is not a given. But now Yehuda's stepping forward, he's making things happen. That's how we got to where we are now. We have these two camps again and Yehuda is breaking the separation. He is crossing the boundary line. He is breaking through the barrier. And, the, and we, we said that Yosef and Yehuda both had a readiness. They were both ready to reunite. But, they, but, but now the balls in the B'nai Leia's court, the question is, are they going to extend the hand? Because Yosef is ready. He's ready. He just needs to see you know, what, what Yehuda is going to do. And the question is, is Yehuda going to take the convenient way out and say, you know what, listen, I, I don't have any ill will against Binyamin, but what can I do? You know, and like kind of how we often feel with people. When we kind of are shy about something, you know, it's not like we want anything bad to happen to the person anymore, but am I going to go self-sacrifice for them? So that's what Yehuda's doing right now. Okay, so now that we see a little bit where we're up to. Let's talk about why this Parsha, in a certain sense, is not as exciting, and then we're going to bring everything back together. So, 
Well, we have Vayigash being about as clearly it's the full family reunion between um, Yaakov, Yosef, and the brothers. Everyone's going to see each other again, and everyone's going to know who they're looking at. Because right now, the brothers don't know yet that they're looking at Yosef. They're going to know very shortly when they find out. So it's going to be really exciting, and everyone's going to be happy. And we also know that's, that's one aspect, the reunion aspect. But then, the, I would say that a majority of the Parsha is very much housekeeping. What we have is um, the Bnei Israel essentially setting up shop in Egypt. And in a certain respect, I would say that the latter half, and in fact more than the latter half of Aigash, is people moving into Egypt and people getting their, um, setting up their, their living arrangements. And then we get a lot of economy, right? a lot of politics, um, legislation, governance by Yosef. So let's actually get to the specifics of the Parsha while we're here. I have four sections to Parsha's Vayikash. The first section is the Yehuda Yosef showdown. We have Yehuda's appeal and Yosef's reveal, right? So hope you like that. Um, then for section two, we have Yaakov's descent to Egypt, right? That, that um, comes with the news finally reaching Yaakov that Yosef is in fact alive. Um, we have Hashem reassuring Yaakov that everything's going to be okay. We have the list of Yaakov's family, the, the 70 souls, um, that, that Yaakov went down with, and of course the family reunion between Yosef and Yaakov. Then, section three, we have Yosef's family meeting Paro. So that's, that's Yaakov's sons, or Yosef's brothers, they all meet Paro, or at least I should say that um, um, five of them meet Paro. Yosef tells them, right, tell, tell Paro that you're shepherds, he'll keep you in Goshen. And Yaakov has his famous meeting with Paro, that showdown, the other showdown, we have the, you know, the leader of the spiritual world, Yaakov, you know, the leader of the physical world, that's Paro, and we have the famous, or maybe infamous statement of Yaakov, you know, where he seems to um, say such um, not nice things about his life, and then, um, right after that, we get the conditions of the Egyptian economy. We hear about the prepping for the famine. So that's section four, the prepping for the famine. So we hear all about the Egyptian economy, um, where Yosef has some very interesting and maybe possibly controversial tactics about preparing for the famine. Yosef um, seems to have a government that's uh, very... Um, it's a very big government, I should say, I, I'll say. You know, that when we talk about in modern times the big government mentality, which um, depending on what pl- side of the political aisle you're on, so you might be into that thing or you might not be into that kind of thing, but whatever it is, that seems to be the kind of government that Yosef had. And I want to talk about a little bit why that's significant. Not to give political commentary on what the best kind of government is, because you know, that's forever going to be a machlokus between Republicans and Democrats, and that's not a place that I'm going today, and I'm not going there tomorrow. Um, and I don't know if I'm ever going to go there um, on one of these podcasts. But I, want, I do want to talk about how that kind of um, government might have affected some events that take place in the future, but what we have is the Egyptian economy and the Bnei Israel officially settling in Goshen. And most of this does not seem very exciting. If you, if you read the Psukim, it's just like people saying, oh, you know, we ran out of this. Okay, yes, Yosef says, okay, do that. And then we hear all the different, again, all the different legislation and government and policies that Yosef puts into place to make sure that everything is running and to make sure that everyone has food. So that's basically how the Parsha ends. And then we just were told that the Bnei Israel settled. So we'll, we'll have to come back to all of that. Now, I promised something really explosive for 
this particular Parsha panorama. So buckle up because we are going to um, we're, we're 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 in for a ride. So we might be excited about the reunion between Yosef and his brothers. We might not be so excited because again we've heard this story so many times, and. That's why a little bit, um, you know, that's why we meet Kate's for us did end off on a cliffhanger because we know that there's something that's going to come. Now, even though this uh, reunion was building up and, the, you know, everything is culminating into this incredible um, standoff between Yosef and Yehuda, and we are, you know, we're looking for that moment. So the first question I want to pose to all of us is... Regarding this showdown between Yosef and his brothers, you know, although the story is riveting every single year, and it's a you know it's a powerful story, and we learn a lot from the story, but sometimes you know, like kind of like we said a little bit last week, when we know the story, we we sometimes fail to be surprised by certain aspects of it, and I think there's something that is very striking here. I think that the story of this showdown and you know between Yosef and Yehuda and really Yosef and all his brothers is strikingly familiar. And the question is have we seen something like this before? And if we have, when and where? And I'll say that when you notice the parallels, when you notice what I'm noticing right now, it's very hard to unnotice and the parallels are staggering. And it seems that history is almost repeating itself. And the question is, is history in fact repeating itself? Is this time going to be different than the last time? So what am I talking about? Let's uh, let the cat out of the bag. Well, before I do, I'm going to let some of the variables speak to you. And we'll see if they tell you anything. And if you want, maybe I'll give you a moment where you can pause the tape and see... um, what, what, what you think, if you can guess where I'm going. I don't know why I use the Lush and Pause the tape, because it's not a tape, it's probably a phone or whatever device that you're using. But whatever, whatever device you're on, maybe it's a computer, but um, just to use the old vernacular of stopping the tape. Okay, let's get off that. Let's get into the, the meat and potatoes here. So, among the variables, um, we have on the one hand the idea of Vayigash, the approach, coming forward. So that's one detail I think is important. Another detail I think is important is a Lashon that Yehuda says to Yosef as the Viceroy when describing Binyamin. He describes Binyamin by saying, Vayivaser hu levado, that he was left alone, right? That he was left alone. He was the only remaining son of Rachel Imenu or he, he didn't use the word Imenu because his mother was Leah, but I'm using the word Imenu. So he was the remaining son of Rachel once his brother Yosef was gone. So Vayivaser Hulavado. So we have coming close, the approaching, we have that he was left alone. We find, obviously, the story, the global story here, seems to be that there is a big showdown between two brothers and... If you think about what Yehuda is ready to do, we find that on the one hand, Yehuda is ready for a peaceable encounter. He's ready to make peace if this viceroy is going to give him what he wants. And yet, Yehuda is willing to battle to the death. And with all of that, 
you know, the, um, the, this, the, the tension is building. And what's ultimately going to happen by the end of this story, we're going to be seeing, embracing, hugging, kissing, crying. We're going to be seeing brothers reunited. We're going to see brothers coming together after years of not having seen each other. And the question, once again, is, have we seen this before? Take a moment. You can pause the tape now. Okay, now I'm going to let you know if you don't already know, if you haven't figured it out. But this story, the story of Yosef's reveal and his, re- his reunion with his brothers, at least reminds me a lot of the story of Yaakov and Esau in Parshas Vayishlach. Going back to what we said before about the Parsha of the fragmentation of Yaakov Avinu's family. Right, so what do we have in that story? We have Yaakov, who is getting ready to be reunited with his brother, his brother Esav, after so many years, after what they had been through. Yaakov was involved in a scheme where he had taken something from Esav, and we had said that Yaakov did it under the guidance of what we might call a Torah instruction, and Yaakov did what he had to do. But of course, there was hatred between him and Esav, and there was something that Yaakov had to resolve. There was a conflict that had to be resolved with his brother. And when Yaakov is traveling back, so the truth is the Balaturim says this first, that in our Parsha, when it says, Vayivaser hu levado, right, so uh, the truth is, I, I noticed this, but the Balaturim says, when it says, Vayivaser hu levado, regarding Binyamin, what does that sound like? It sounds like in Parsha's Vayishlach, Vayivaser Yaakov levado. Right, that's just when the Ish, the mysterious Ish, attacked Yaakov, the Sar Shel Esav attacked Yaakov, Vayavaser Yaakov, Levado, Yaakov was left alone. Now Binyamin is left alone. Now let's talk about the Ish for a second. In the story of Yaakov and Esav, Yaakov is preparing for Esav, and he's attacked by a mysterious Ish. And this mysterious Ish, we don't really know who he is. Chazal identify him as being connected to Esav. Well, guess what? In this story here as well, if you look in Parshas Miketz, look how Yaakov and the brothers, or Yaakov's sons rather, they talk about Yosef the Viceroy. You know what they keep on calling him? They keep on calling him the Ish. When they describe Yosef, they don't even know that this is their brother, they're describing him as Ish. Just like Yaakov didn't even know that the angel was the Sar Esav. Here, this person is their brother, they keep on calling him the Ish. He's the unidentified Ish that's having this psychological battle with them, right? The mind games that Yosef is playing on them. And obviously, he's doing it for, for all the right reasons. But we have this mysterious Ish. And what does Yaakov do to help the brothers or his sons prepare for the Ish? So what we find is that all the preparations made for their showdown with Viceroy Yosef are all the same preparations and measures that were taken just before Yaakov reunited with Esav. What were those measures? Chazal tells us three things. Rashi calls them out for us. Yaakov prepares for war. Yaakov prepares with tefillah. And Yaakov prepares a tribute for Esav. All these three things. So what, does, what, what, what do we find with, with, um, with the reunion with Yosef? So Yaakov prepares them a tribute. Yaakov davens to Hashem. He literally, he literally davens to Hashem. And 
when when he, when he does, uh, not only that, but we find Yehuda. Just uh, the, so on the words Vayevaser Hulavado, the Balaturim says, just like Yaakov was Vayevaser Yaakov Lavado, and he was preparing for war with Esav. Guess what? When the pasuk here says Vayevaser Hulavado, that Benjamin was left alone. When Yehuda says this, the Balaturim says Yehuda is preparing for war. If that's what he has to do to keep in Yemen. And in fact, when, when Yehuda says, Kamocha Kiparo, he says, I see you as Paro. So there are different versions of that. Is Yehuda trying to appease Yosef? Is he trying to, to say kind words to Yosef? Is he trying to give a tribute? Is he trying to maybe Davin? Or Kamocha Kiparo, I'll kill you and Paro. So we see, and in fact, the, the Lekach Tov actually says that Yehuda had all the same three preparations that Yaakov had for Esav. Yehuda made all three of those preparations for Yosef. So what we find here is a lot of parallels. Not to mention the bowing, the brothers um, and Yaakov's family, they bow just before they see Esav. And Yehuda and all the other brothers, they all bow just before they meet Yosef when, uh, when they think Yosef is the viceroy and the king, and they don't know that he's Yosef, so they bow to him. Of course, the crying, the kissing, the hugging, that takes place in, in both stories. And so we, we, we see a lot of different uh, connections. In fact, also Esav and Yosef were actually both of their fathers um, most beloved it seems, or at the very least the Chumash attests to the love that both of their fathers had for them. So there, there's a lot going on here. And the question is, what, what does this all represent? There's actually one more parallel I want to throw out that I just uh, noticed. I don't know if I noticed it in previous years, but I noticed it this year, and I realized in my essay that I wrote on this topic, I didn't have this in there. But the Lushan of Chain. We find the Lushan of Chain in both stories. Esav sees Yaakov's family approaching. He says, who are all these people? And Yaakov says, these are the people that Hashem blessed me with. He uses Lushan of Chain that Hashem has graced me with. And when Yosef sees Binyamin for the first time after so many years, when the brothers finally bring Binyamin down and Parshas Mikates, so Yosef blesses um, uh, Binyamin with Chain. And in fact, Rashi, right there, says, oh yeah, because um, 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 Binyamin never had that blessing of Chain because Binyamin wasn't there at the story when Yaakov and Esav reunited. I, I think Esav actually used the Lashon of Chain. Um, you know, I think I think Esav blesses Yaakov. I don't remember the exact Lashon. Um, I could find it for you, though. Um, just one second. Okay, so originally it was Yaakov's words. In Perak, Lam and Gimel, Pasuk, Hey, um, that's Parshas Vayishlach, so Yaakov's Lashon was Asher Chanan Elohim Zavdecha, that which Hashem has graced your, um, your servant. And here, um, Yosef says, Elohim Yachnecha Beni, God should be gracious to you, my son. And so that he says that basically Yosef is returning the blessing to Benjamin that he didn't get to receive earlier. So there's a lot happening here, obviously. And the question, once again, is what does it all represent? What is happening in this particular story? Is history repeating itself? To what extent is history repeating itself? Why are the variables manifest in such a similar way? And is there a difference between these two reunions, these two very similar reunions? So, in this meta story, the push-up shot answer is that, yes, that's exactly what's supposed to happen here. That just like Yaakov was fragmented, and the goal of the reunion with Esav was to come back together, to put all the broken pieces back together. And in a certain sense, when it came to Yaakov and Esav, Yaakov more or less did that. We said that the big rival of Yaakov 
in Parshas Vayishlach turns out to not be Esav, at least not physical uh, human life body Esav, but it's actually the spirit of Esav, which represents the the strife and deception and the selfishness and all those different midos that affect Yaakov's family. So that's the rival of Yaakov. But it's not Esav himself. When it comes to Yaakov and Esav himself, Esav is pretty happy with Yaakov. By the end of it, he forgives him. And the, maybe perhaps the one mistake that Yaakov makes at that point is to withhold Dina, which Chazal talk about, that maybe Esav would have done Shuva, but ultimately Yaakov and Esav, they part ways. But when it comes to the brothers, the hope here is that they actually come together, and not just on the surface, but they actually reunite from the inside out. Yehuda, by breaking the barrier and breaking the silence that separates the Bnei Rachel and the Bnei Leah, hopefully they are actually coming back together. And in fact, one important difference between Yaakov, who backs away from Esav, so Yaakov versus Yosef and the brothers, where they reunite and we don't see them backing away from each other, I would say is manifest in two separate halachos. What are the two separate halachos? Rav Shimon Bar Yochai says that when Esav and Yaakov embrace and Esav kisses Yaakov. So there are different ways to darshan those dots on top of the word Vayishalkehu when he kissed him. Now, um, the, the pshat that Roshim Bar Yochai says is that there's a halacha. He calls it a halacha. There's a rule. Esav sones Yaakov, and this was the one exception to the rule. Right, I'm not going to get into the pshat now about how Esav was trying to bite um, Yaakov. You should definitely look at the Ibn Ezra, what he says about that pshat. Um, I'm not going to get into that now, but there's a cool Ibn Ezra. Um, and very controversially, Ben Ezra, on that word, Vayishalkehu. Um, but in the meantime, Rav Shimon Bar Yechai says the halacha is Esav Sone Es Yaakov, and this is the one exception. But what does that mean? Yaakov says, okay, listen, you know, um, Esav might not hate me now, but he might hate me later. And so let's reunite now. Great, we love each other, we're happy again. Now let's back away. And yet when Esav says, Yaakov, let's align, let's work together, Yaakov says, I'll meet you later. And again, maybe Yaakov um, did the right thing in that regard, in term, but, you know, because maybe Esav hadn't done a full tshuva. Maybe if Dina and Esav created a union, um, just like, um, you know, Dina was, um, you know, possibly able to get Shechem to do a tshuva, um, something that my brother of Daniel Eisenberg pointed out. But um, maybe that was Yaakov's mistake, but at the very least, Yaakov was not entirely wrong because there is a halacha that Esav sonayas Yaakov. That represents the first war, the war between Yaakov and Esav, the showdown between Yaakov and Esav. But now we have another showdown, and this is the showdown between Yosef and his brothers, between Yosef and Yehuda. And you know what the difference between this war and the previous war, Esav sonayas Yaakov? So the first war was Esav Sonias Yaakov, but after that war, Yaakov has a new name. Yaakov's new name, or his additional name, is Yisrael. And in the story of Yisrael and Yaakov, right, the, we have a new rule, um, a new halacha. And that halacha is Kol Yisrael or even Zebazeh. Esav might hate Yaakov, but when it comes to B'nai Yisrael, we are all guarantors for one another. Right, that word, a raven, a ravon, Yehuda was an arev for Binyamin. They are a raven zebazeh. And because they are guarantors for one another, that's what ultimately created that kesher, that now, that new unbreakable kesher between the Bnei Rachel, the Bnei Leah, all of the Bnei Israel together. Does that mean that there will never be friction and tension again? It absolutely does not mean that. But we have to see this Parsha as the model for all reunions of Kla Yisrael, all the, the divided sects of Kla Yisrael, 
all the legitimate ones anyway, right? The ones that are all Yerei Shemayim. So there, there, there is a reunion to be made between them. And the, again, the model is right here in our Parsha. So that's one important aspect of our Parsha. On the global map, right, we know that there is one family, right? The, Yaakov's family is it. He's the Bechir Teshava Avos. He's the one through whom the entire world is going to be blessed, Right? Hashem chose Avraham after generations of failure, generations of humankind that were not able to, re- to receive God's blessings, the whole reason for which God created the world. Now it has to be Yaakov and his family. There are no other options. And that means that Yaakov's family is going to have to get it together. They're going to have to figure it out because they were chosen and they are on a higher level and they are the gedolim of the world. But that doesn't mean they don't have business to work out. And that's being worked out in our Parsha. What's the next chapter? Well, that's the other half of our Parsha. The next chapter is, now that we are a family, we are slowly going to become a nation. Right? Because in order for the entire world to receive blessings through us, we need to have a lot of kids, and we need to become legions, we need to become a nation. And when we, when we become a nation of a bunch of tribes, so then that, that, great, that grants opportunity for us to inspire all of the world around us, and for all of the world around us to attach themselves to us, to help us in our service of Hashem. So we need to become a nation. Part of becoming a nation is the process of the Brisbane Abbasarim. So now we are setting up shop in Mitzrayim, which is what, again, this latter half of the Parsha is about. So again, why exactly does the Torah spend so much time on the details of the Egyptian economy under Yosef Atadik? Right, what's the what's the point of that? What's what's the Chumash doing? So, as I alluded to earlier, right the the story, the details of Yosef's economic legislation, policies, and governance, it seems to, in some way or another, depict the natural histadlus aspects of the setting of the stage for, really, Sefer Shmos, the next major chapter of the lives of the Bnei Israel. Yes, we have some business to tend to in Parshas Vayechi, and we will, Be'ezras Hashem, get to that, and we'll see exactly what the role of Vayechi is, and so hold on tight for that. But in the meantime, let's appreciate what we have in Vayigash here. Vayigash is very much setting the stage, because as we mentioned, we find that Yosef is in charge of the government. He's got all the governmental control. And Yosef had enacted that all the food, all the wealth, essentially be amassed by the Egyptian government. Everyone would have to eventually, when they ran out of money for food, so then they had to move on to their land. They, so in their, their, their homes, their properties. Yosef became in charge of all of their homes. And when that wasn't enough, they had to make themselves... Um, subservient to Yosef. Now, even though Egypt was a monarchy, it seems that in a certain regard there was a free society to a certain extent, and that free society wasn't quite as free anymore. They were very dependent on their government, 
And it was because, and maybe for the needs of the time, it could possibly be, that's what was, that was needed for the time. And maybe in a certain respect for that government, it was an advancement. Not saying what it for sure was or what it for sure wasn't. But be it as it may, whatever it is, Yosef was in charge of a government that was very, very powerful, and Yosef granted even more power to that government. And now, if you look very closely at the Lashon of the Egyptian commonwealth, they say the words, V'hayinu avadim leparo. When they say, okay, all we have left is our own selves, and guess what, we'll be serfs to paro. Serfs is the word you find in Art Scroll. But we know what avadim means. Avadim means slaves. Right? So Rashi says, what does it mean, avadim? That we'll start paying a tax. Right? But that's, you know, that's really just the beginning. Um, the Lashon of the Hayinu Avadim Leparo sounds a lot like Avadim Hayinu Leparo in Mitzrayim. Right? At the time, who were the Avadim Leparo? The Egyptian Commonwealth. And it's really simple and easy to understand why Yosef and the Bnei Israel were not the Avadim. Because who was in charge of the government? Yosef was in charge of the government. And you see Yosef immediately puts his brothers and his family aside in Goshen. They get to be shepherds. They do their own little thing. Yaakov has that meeting with Paro where the, it, was simil, it was simply a political, formal meet and greet between Paro and Yaakov. And then Yaakov went on his merry way. And the Pasuk says that Yosef settled his family down. They were the elite. They were the elite in Egypt. When you have a very powerful government, government with an elite, um, you know, family, so it's pretty great. The situation is very good, and it's easy to get comfortable. And in fact, the pasuk does later say that Vayeshev Yisrael, um, that Yisrael settles down in Egypt. And it gets a little bit scary because the last words of the parsha say that Vayeachazuba. That the Bnei Yaakov, the Bnei Israel, it says Vayeachaz, which means that they took holdings, they took stock, they they found property, they settled down, and they 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 took a holding in the land of Egypt. Now that although that has legal connotations, Rav Hirsch and the Kliyakar both point out from the dimension of Agada, from the dimension of Midrash, that Vayeachazu is in the Lashon Nifa, which means that it happened to them, not that they grabbed a hold of the land, but the land grabbed hold of them into a point where they couldn't get out, right? It's really great when you have a powerful government and you're in the elite, but what happens when Yosef? What happens when you're no longer at the top of the food chain, the political food chain, when, you, when all of a sudden you have a very powerful government and yet you're at the bottom, which is what happens in Sefer Shemos, so then things aren't great. Yosef is not remembered and... Yosef's family is not remembered, and they actually go from the top of the food chain to the bottom of the heap. Now, for better or for worse, this, these were the circumstances. A very powerful government where you know, the commonwealth has the, has the potential to be the slaves to the king, and then we have you know, a, a xenophobic king that, that, that steps up. So we see the making you know, Yosef might have created a monster in the Egyptian government. It's just something to think about. And you could, if you have a different perspective on it, that's fine. But this is just an observation. But the point is that this is the story of the Bnei Israel. They've reunited, but now they've decided to get comfortable, and now they are going to be comfortable together in Gullus. There are a lot of things that created their Gullus, 
but this is just the beginning. Now, as I said, there's un, there's unfinished business to tend to in Parshas Vayechi. We'll see exactly how Sefer Bereshis wraps up. But what we see here is now that the first family is now together and reunited, we are seeing the early steps of them soon becoming an Am, a nation. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, thanks for joining us here at Parsha Panorama and here at the database. We'll pick up next week with the Parsha Vayechi. Have a wonderful Shabbos.